0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station.
1: Inside story on BFM
2: 89.9. Hi, I'm Sharad Kutan, and today is World Radio Day. And this year's theme is Radio, a Century Informing, Entertaining, and Educating. Uh, is radio's brilliant future coming to an end or is it simply heading for radical transformation? We speak to radio futurologists about the challenges and possibilities of this once-cherished medium. Let us know what you think, when did you first encounter radio, what did you like or dislike most about it. You can call 7773 2900, tweet us at BFM Radio, or send us a voice note or a WhatsApp at our U-Mobile number 18 789 This is Inside Story. It's 6.07. You're listening to Inside Story. I'm Sherrod Kutton. Like I said, today is World Radio Day, a day adopted by the United Nations in 2013. And the theme uh, of the year celebration is a century informing, entertaining and educating. Three very important terms that I think in many ways defines what radio has been. Now, for those who don't know, radio, at least the technology Uh, emerge in the 19th century, but broadcast radio really came into existence only in the early part of the 20th century, in the 1920s specifically, which marks the kind of century-long trajectory of the medium. In Malaysia, the history of a broadcast uh, really begins in 1921 when an electrical engineer from the Johor government, uh, Mr. A.L. Birch, bought the first radio set into British Malaya. He established the Johor Wireless Association in 1923 and commenced broadcasting through a 300-meter wave. Now, the first radio station in the country was ZHJ Station, set up by the Penang Wireless Society in 1934. Of course, uh, we're all more familiar with RTM. RTM begins uh, just after the Second World War uh, with uh, Radio Malaya, and then it became a Radio Malaysia in 1963 at the formation of the Federation. Uh, these are both, uh, in some sense, the forerunners of RTM, Radio Television Malaysia. Now, uh, the reason the United Nations... Uh, set up Radio uh, World Radio Day is in fact to raise uh, great awareness among the public and media regarding the importance of radio. But is radio's importance increasingly eclipsed by the realities of the media business, uh, uh, the options now available, especially challenges coming from the digital field? All this is in the mix today as we discuss uh, what is in store for radio. But we want you to be part of this conversation when did you first encounter radio? What did you like or dislike most about it? You can call 7773 2900. You can WhatsApp us or send us a voice note on 18 889 889 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Best flipping moments. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 6-11. Uh, uh, t- uh, this is uh, The In- Inside Story, and I'm Sherrod Kutin It is World Radio Day, and shortly we will be speaking to James Critlin, editor of Pod News. Uh, he's also a radio futurologist. But before that, uh, as a reminder, it's talk back and we'd like to know what you think. When did you first encounter radio? What did you like or dislike most about it. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. You can WhatsApp or send us a voice note on 0187898899. Or you can tweet us at, B, uh, at BFM Radio. Now, joining us on the line is James Cridlin, a future radio futurologist and editor at Pod News, a platform for the latest news on podcasts and audio on demand. It's based in Australia. James, thank you so much for speaking to us. In fact, you know, in many ways, the description uh, that i just read out out, you know, suggest uh, that, uh, you know, radio is, um, uh, is uh, you know, challenged by podcasts and audio. But but let's get into that slightly later on. I want to get uh, into the question of whether radio is still relevant in the digital era. What do you think? Oh,
1: radio is doing tremendously well, Sharad. Um, uh, good evening and thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at uh, Malaysia, 96% of people in Malaysia use the radio every single week. And that figure has been increasing according to the latest figures. So actually, you know, radio is doing fantastically both in Malaysia and outside as well. And I'm very grateful to you for the um very short uh, history of um of uh, how radio uh, started in M- Malaysia as well it was a it, it was a really interesting thing i've learned that from BFM today and i've also learned that um people in the uk have no tea so there's um two very important things which that ha- i've
2: learned that happening over the last in the world 10 okay yeah. but james <laughs> exactly. uh, james they, you know there's all this talk that uh radio is dying it's a medium that's under you know uh, tremendous pressure from the digital options that people have, they can, you know, access the any kind of content they want, whenever they want, you know, especially from their smartphones. The, what about radio might in fact be under pressure and what isn't? Perhaps that's a better way of putting it.
1: Well, radio is very good at two things. It's very good at human connection, human beings talking to other human beings. And it's very good at a shared connection experience as well. And there are many people listening to BFM now who will be calling you and talking about um, their first experiences in terms of uh, radio. That's what makes radio very special. And if you're listening to a podcast, if you're listening to an on-demand piece of uh, radio through the BFM app or whatever it might be, then that's great, but you don't get that shared experience. You don't know that there are thousands of other people listening to the same thing as you are. So I think that's really what makes radio very special, Um, is that human connection and that shared experience. And, of course, we can consume radio when we're doing other things as well. So we can consume radio while we're driving, uh, while we're doing the washing up, while we're sometimes doing doing work. Um, you know, so that's uh, an important thing that you can't do with many other media as well.
2: Well, I certainly uh, cook and listen to the radio at the same time. Uh, yeah. This might sometimes lead to disasters. But James, OK, my culinary <laughs> skills aside, uh, a bit of history from you, uh, World Radio Day uh The theme this year, a a century informing, entertaining, educating. What does this theme signal to you? I mean, does it fully capture what the radio industry was or is and might be?
1: Yeah, I think it captures some of that. I mean, you know, I'm not quite sure, to be honest, how useful it is to be reminded that radio is 100 years old uh, this year. It's 100 years old in both Australia and in the U.K., um, I'm not quite sure how useful that is because that doesn't necessarily tell us how important radio is today. And the fact that so many people are still using radio every single week, um, I think, points to how important radio still you know, is. I'm talking to you from uh, Australia and radio, very important here, for a lot of um, reasons to do with uh, emergencies, whether it's bushfires, whether it's floods whether it's all kinds of things that are happening right now, radio is always there to help you through some of those things. And I think that that's an important side of radio as well. It's very good for uh, entertainment but it's also very good at actually helping you through through some very difficult times. And you'll remember a couple of years ago um having to deal with the pandemic, being able to, well, uh, being not able to go anywhere. Um, and radio was a real lifeline to people, being able to hear other human voices, to be able to hear what else is going on in the world. And radio is a very important um, thing for that as well. So I think lots of... Very good reasons why radio is still a very, um, you know, a very vibrant medium even
2: today. So before we get into the question of human and not human in terms of the voice that's coming through your, uh, you know, transistor radio, (laughs) I do want to ask you, James, I mean, you look, you know, via Zoom, you look reasonably young. So I might want to know, I mean, when was you, when, what, uh, could you describe your first encounter with radio? I mean, what era was it? What was the, what were the competing media that you had to contend in? Why were you attracted to radio? I was very attracted to radio, so... um um, I
1: grew up, I'm 52, in case you're wondering, I grew up uh, in the early 70s. And um, I, um, I was given a radio uh, when I was about six. And uh, it was a radio actually that came free with some breakfast cereal um and i remember using it and thinking this is amazing this is there are all of these different voices in this thing and then not wanting to listen to it too much because i didn't want to use up all of the voices i didn't understand that it wasn't a recording and it was actually just a live broadcast and i found the whole thing absolutely fascinating and i've been working in radio since the late 1980s um when radio was very very different you know people used to listen to the radio for the latest Uh, music. They used to listen to the radio for a lot of information that now, frankly, the internet is better at. Uh, If you want to listen to 10 great songs in a row, well, that's what Spotify or YouTube is very good at. And radio really, I think now, is having a second wind in being something which is for speech, for human beings, for, um, you know, the kind of information that you get um, from BFM and from other stations that actually help you understand what's going on in the world and um, I think we're seeing you know a bit of a change in landscape from those music intensive uh, radio stations where there is so much choice now uh, of other places and other things that you can uh, use um, to get uh, music but you know spoken word human beings on the other end that's something that will always be a really important part of radio.
2: You know, James. Uh, in the eighties, I grew up on John Peel and the BBC World Service, which I could get on FM in Singapore. Um, is that is the era of a of a James Peel of of those people who shaped a musical taste around the world by you know curating songs? Is that at an end? I think partially it's at an end in terms of
1: radio, but actually, you know, there are still big radio stars, whether or not they're on what you or I would call. The radio, you know, there was um, uh, Zane Lowe was another a very large radio star in the UK. He was actually a Kiwi, uh, came over to the UK. Now he's doing a radio show on Apple. So if you have an Apple iPhone, you uh, you can end up listening to that particular show. And he's still um, telling people what songs to go and have a listen to. But yet, you know, Spotify and, uh, and other music services have an awful lot of uh, playlists which are curated by other people, helping you understand what new songs are available. So I think you know that that's certainly one one side of it is curation of music. But there's also you know of course uh, all of the other sides of uh, news of of information of all kinds of other uh, of all kinds of other things that radio has been tremendously good at, um, and continues to be you know right in, until now.
2: So we have a certain there's a conceptual blurring here, right? So we have radio, we have podcasts, we have audio or radio on demand. How would you help us sort out the difference? And it does it really matter if it's coming through, you know, a, a transistor radio where it's coming out of your mm. phone.
1: Well, I think this is one of the problems that we have in the in the English language is that radio is both a thing, a radio receiver, um and and is also a type of audio programming. You know what radio is when you hear it. You know when something isn't radio when you uh, when you hear that too. So I think that that's one of the problems that we have speaking speaking in English. But certainly, from my point of view, um, uh, there is an awful lot of radio consumption which is now happening on demand, which is now happening as podcast downloads. Uh, If you look into the US, only last year, um, there's now more listening to on-demand audio than there is to live audio. It's taken this long but uh now just on demand audio is getting more uh listening time than live uh, audio i don't suppose that that's the case uh, anywhere on on this side of the world but i think you know that that's that's an important part of uh radio um and i think now you know i mean i when i was uh, working in the uk i launched the the world's first mobile phone um app for a radio station it was for richard branson's uh, station uh, back in uh, two thousand and five, and I think only five people had a phone that would actually use it way before the iPhone had launched. Um, but it was a really interesting time when all of a sudden you could listen to the radio wherever you were through something other than an AM or an FM radio. And I think you know only now are we seeing um, you know an amount of radio listening happening through mobile phone apps and through the internet.
2: I wonder if we could just uh, kind of briefly look at the way in which governments and states uh, have used radio in um, this part of the world and others. Uh, when, when radio was a main source of information for people, governments could curate uh, content. They forced us to you know, listen to a whole range of things, even if we didn't want to because there weren't other options. Is that era at an end? And is that a good or bad thing?
1: I think that era is partially at an end there are still an awful lot of regulations of what you can and can't say on the air and different countries have different rules and regulations as well but I think just the vast amount of radio stations that are now available um really means that there's you know a ton of different choice uh, out there in terms of what you might want to have a listen to one of the things that surprised me when I moved from the UK to Australia seven or eight years ago, was the fact that here in Australia, you don't have to be politically balanced on the radio, whereas you do by law in the UK. I was always trained as a radio presenter um, to give both sides of a view. And then all of a sudden, hearing just one side of a view here in Australia was very strange uh, to me. And I think that there's something to be said for requiring people to, um, if you're on a radio station, you have a lot of power, and to at least explain both sides of an argument is is a pretty useful thing.
2: Well, what accounts for the difference? Why is it much more, in some sense, liberal in Australia than it is in the in the UK?
1: I think a lot of it comes down to history. You know, you you spoke about the history of radio in uh, Malaysia, the history of um, r- of radio here in Australia was it was commercial radio was first in the early uh, or mid 1920s. Um, and uh, very quickly, um, the radio stations got bought up by the newspaper companies. Whereas in places like the UK and in much of uh, Europe, uh, radio was um, pretty well always government-run and had been government-run for many, many years. Commercial radio, um, I'm actually older than commercial radio in the UK um, because they only got around to commercial radio in the mid-1970s. And that's the same in many other parts of of, uh, Europe as well. And I think that that does go to show the power of what radio is capable of. You know, radio can reach um, tens, hundreds of thousands of people at the same time, and um, it's a very powerful thing to be able to communicate ideas to people. And I think that's why some governments have looked at it and been a little bit concerned about what it might be capable of doing because it is so powerful and because it is so um you know so human and so, and and such an intimate a, um you know a a medium as well you know we can listen to the radio almost in secret we can listen to the radio you know with a, a radio set under our pillow at night and nobody else knows that we're listening
2: um and, and there are still people doing that right now yeah, it's very interesting because there are, you know, histories written about the war, the Second World War, uh, the Pacific War, depending on which part of the world you are, where, mm. you know, owning, a, say, uh, a radio in um, Japanese occupied Malaya was, in fact, uh, illegal. And so many of these stories revolve around people hiding uh, transmitters and uh, transistor radios, trying to get, yeah. um, uh, listening to whether the Allies were going to land or they were on an offensive. Uh, that aside, because it's a fascinating history. I did want to ask you before we go to the break, uh, just begin a conversation about how these challenges to radio uh, and the technology that's enabled these challenges is it forcing more creativity in the field? are, are we looking at people telling stories st- stories better and delivering information in ways that is more relevant for people? Well, I think there's
1: two sort of sides to that. One side is, uh, of course, the use of AI and AI is being used in radio production as well as everything else. Um, AI voices might be being used in some parts of the world, but AI is being used for news collection, for music scheduling, for all kinds of of other things as well. And that frees human beings up to do what human beings are best at, which is the creative uh, side. Uh, of that, and the communication side, so you, I, I think you 've got that side um, as being one sort of part of where radio uh, is uh, is uh, going but, uh, but but also the technology has changed so much for radio in the last uh, thirty years that it 's enabled us to be far more flexible in terms of the way that we can get stories out there. You know, I wouldn't have been talking to you in this sort of audio quality 30 years ago. Um, It would be a scratchy phone line that would have cost you and I a fortune um, to make the the international call you know so um you know my my first job w- was carrying a mobile phone for a radio journalist and and that and that's because the mobile phone was so heavy that it was <laughs> very difficult for her to carry that as well as her portable tape recorder now it's just one device it's probably an iPhone and um uh, and and obviously and that fits into your pocket so technology i think has made it an awful lot easier to produce Much better sounding radio and radio which can tell very, very different stories than perhaps we were telling 30, 40 years ago.
2: Okay, James, uh, we're going to be heading into the news. So uh, you're staying with us and we're going to look at, you know. What radio can do better in the future? How it can uh, meet and you know the challenges that it faces, um, including how we use podcasts and such. So, hang on to the line, as it were. I'm saying using kind of metaphor from a different era and different technology. Uh, I'm speaking to James Crittenden, a radio futurologist and editor at Pod News. We're talking about radio uh, in the 21st century. Let us know, though. Uh, when did you first encounter radio? What did, did you like or dislike most about it? You can call 7733-2900. You can uh, WhatsApp us or send us a voice note in 18 or tweet us at BFM Radio it's 6:38 you're listening to inside story I'm Sherrod Kuten and we're talking about world radio day um, sort of recognized by the UN in 2013 but radio has a long uh, history almost a century and we're speaking to James Gridland future radio futurologist and editor at pod news for his views on our... Uh, where radio is going now, we also want you in this conversation. You can tell us uh, if you like uh, how you first encountered radio, what you like or dislike about it. Or you can call us on double seven double three two nine hundred. You can tweet us at BFM Radio or send us a voice note or a WhatsApp at 018-789-8899. Before I get to you, James, we did have we do have a message, and this is from Yuvita. She says, "What I love about radio is that it's versatile. It's up to date, and you can get the latest news from a radio channel. What I don't really like is advertisements advertising a gold shop or a specific coffee or tea. I especially love BFM because it's knowledgeable and I feel like I'm part of a progressive conversation. Uh, James, uh, thanks for staying on the line with us. You've to something very interesting. I'm going to ignore the, the love fest thing happening with BFM because, of course, you know, we're very modest over here. Um, that's what the M is in BFM. Uh, but ads... Uh, and the dollars that come with ads, what would you say to somebody like Juvita who doesn't like that?
1: well, i'd I'd say that somebody needs to pay for what you're listening to. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a good that's a good start. I mean, one of the jobs that I did um many years ago was that uh, I used to um write radio commercials. So I used to go and see, um uh, advertisers uh, across uh, the north of england where i was and uh, help them with what their radio commercials would uh, sound like and one of the things that um you know it probably comes as no surprise that radio is actually very good at getting messages out helping people understand what they can get from certain businesses um and um telling people about new launches and things like that so actually from a point of view of uh, a way of getting a message out. Radio is um, particularly strong um, at, uh, at 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 uh, doing that, and I think that, that that's probably because we're listening to the radio anyway. We we typically have a radio station like like this on in the foreground. We're actually listening to it rather than it just being a a bit of wallpaper, you know, in an office and so on. And that means that we hear the commercials just as much as we hear. Um, everybody else on the air and I think that that makes it a
2: very strong and exciting medium if you do want to advertise on it. James, but there is some grim news in there in terms of the business model because uh, I recently was at a conference where they talked about, uh, you know, the future of radio. Not its relevance, not the quality of its content, not its um, ability to connect people and such. All those good things are still there. But ADEX or the share of radio's ADEX in uh, Malaysia has dropped. Uh, it's gone from a, from 8% about 10 years ago to 4%. Mm. And there are things mm. that a digital platforms uh, platforms Platforms can do better in terms of, you know, tracking uh, impact and tracking retention rates, all these things. Is that a challenge for the radio commercial?
1: It is a challenge in that, you know, it's very easy to look at clicks from your Facebook promotion or from your um, purchasing on Google. It's very easy to look at the clicks from that and to work out exactly how many people bought your product because they saw an ad on Facebook or, or or X or whatever it might be and it's harder to do in terms of radio by the way also hard to do in terms of TV and newspapers as well so all of the legacy media have these types of issues but there are also um, technological ways to actually get around that, and to give advertisers the type of information that they would normally get from an advertisement on Facebook or Google, um, from what they're doing in terms of podcasting, or from the radio itself. So there are other ways around that. I suppose one of the uh, one of the interesting problems that radio has, and podcasting to a certain degree is actually not having as good numbers as good measurement uh, numbers as you might expect from other you know means of um, of uh, of uh, of uh, advertising and so you know the amount of you know the way that we know how many people are listening to the radio in malaysia is to give around 7000 people a paper diary and ask them to write down what radio station they're listening to. Uh, most uh, uh, people, of course, is, uh, are going to write down BFM, but um, that's the way that we work out how many people are listening to the radio and what radio stations people are, um, are, um, are having a look at. And that, to some people, sounds a little bit old-fashioned, but it's actually a really good way of measuring um, the type of radio that people are consuming.
2: Now you know one of the things that you brought up earlier was uh, artificial intelligence, AI, and we already have in Malaysia. I think uh, one radio station with an AI DJ. Now, mm. apart from being a novelty, apart from the fact that you know technology is kind of wonderful in you know many ways, and that it can begin to even mimic human speech and and you can integrate in real time and so on, uh, there is. The issue of cost cutting. I mean, an AI radio DJ can work 24/7, and you can, uh, and they never need to rest. I mean, is is that one of the grim uh, consequences of maybe you know a shrinking pool of resources, and therefore you need to kind of like also shrink your costs? I mean, do you see that happening in the industry?
1: Well, I think, you know, there are plenty of radio stations out there which have nonstop music overnight or nonstop music in the evening. Um, There's a big radio conference in KL that I go to every year called Radio Days Asia, uh, which is back on in uh, September. And, you know, when I was there last, uh, last year, you know, I was listening to an awful lot of radio stations that were just nonstop music, and that's fine, but that's not really where the future is going, is it? Because I can get nonstop music from all kinds of places, so actually is it better if there's some form of companionship even if it's AI doing some of that possibly you could argue but I think that you know for the type of things that you know you're doing I I can't see AI um being a radio presenter and actually and actually you know doing doing your job instead of you I think where AI does Come into it is um, freeing you up to do some of the more creative work, and um, and not doing some of the more tedious, um, you know, uh, standard uh, stuff that you kind of you know is is a bit is a bit beneath you. You know what I mean? And and I think actually using AI, I I always tell people that AI stands for artificial intern. because that's what I think it should be used as. It should be used as someone who, you know, an intern's work, you would always want to check it before you broadcast it, before you put it out there. And I think that's probably what we should be doing still with with AI tools as well. But I do think that AI has a part to play in where radio is going.
2: James, I love your rose-tinted crystal ball. Uh, <laughs> before we let you go, a quick question. I mean, for anybody who uh, you know, wants to be in the business, who wants to be in broadcasting, radio in particular, um, how do you think they should approach um, the job and the industry? I mean, you know, where will there be growth? Where are there going to be opportunities? How can they create better radio uh, for listeners and for the larger public?
1: Well, I think, you know, radio is very much at the moment getting older in terms of audiences, and I think that's a concern. So I think one of the first things that we need is we need more uh, younger people involved in um, in making radio um, because that is a very important uh, part of it. Um, so that's, you know, one sort of uh, side. But what I would also say is that um, there's been a fundamental... Um, Uh, um, concern about producing live radio, and live is the most important thing. I'm not so sure that that's true anymore. And I think probably what we should be doing is not making lots of live radio and then cutting it up and making making live radio into podcasts after it's been broadcast. I think perhaps we should be thinking a little bit harder about how we make radio, what we actually put on the air, and whether or not we can be a little bit closer to producing great on demand content as well as great live content and content that people actually hear. So I think, you know, there's a bit of a rethink needed in terms of how we make radio and who that radio is for. But what I would also say, with my rose-tinted glasses on, is of course, you know, radio still tremendously uh, well listened to. It's still, you know, the thing that you will um, hear if you jump in into into the back of a of a grab car or whatever. Uh, and I don't think radio is going
2: anywhere uh, anytime soon. Well, thank you very much. So, digital didn't kill the radio star. Well, not yet, at least. Not yet. Not yet. Thanks, James. Uh thank That's you. James Cridlin, a radio futurologist and editor at POT News based in uh, Australia. Remember, we're talking about this because it's World Radio Day. We want to know, when did you first encounter radio? What did you like or dislike about it? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. You can also send us a voice note or a WhatsApp at 18 789 or tweet us at BFM Radio. Bodacious, fabulous minds. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's uh, 6.50. Uh, you're listening to Inside Story, and I'm Sherrod Kutton. We're talking about radio, its relevance to the contemporary life. Uh, will a medium that's been around for about 100 years survive the next 100 years? We heard just from a James Cridlin, radio futurologist, and at the Pod News, but we also want to hear from you. When did you first encounter radio? What did you like or dislike about it? Uh, you can call double seven double three 2900 You can also send us a voice note or a WhatsApp a message at 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. We do, in fact, have a couple of messages. I'm going to start with Farouk. What I like about radio is how it is cons- constantly trying to engage you with a mix of, of things, songs, interviews, casual chat, People calling compared to just, say, listening to a podcast or streaming. It's more dynamic and localized. It's also fun to put on the radio while doing chores. Farouk, I agree Absolutely with you, I do listen to uh, radio while I'm doing chores, I'm cooking. I also listen to podcasts and I think, you know, the mix of it uh, is really what's dynamic. I think a lot of us tune into uh, local news because that's when, uh, you know, uh, uh, local platforms really excel when there's something happening in the country, is a crisis or there's something to celebrate. Uh, it's a wonderful medium to be uh, kind of plugged into. We also have uh, this message from JYC. Radio was very much part of our household, so I was introduced to it really early. A childhood memory I have is waking up to the voice of a DJ when my dad switched it on to wake us up. Still love it. It has evolved. I used to listen to keep up with the latest pop songs. Now I listen to keep up with the latest news and information. So, JYC, I, uh, I like the idea that, you know, um, it's still relevant. And I think as we grow older, it's, it's also uh true that you know our our relationship to radio and what is available changes uh, I was very lucky in that I was able to hear very good quality uh, broadcasts uh, on my you know my radio when I was a teenager and I was introduced to a whole range of um, musical programs, uh, in fact documentaries, radio documentaries, as well as kind of live correspondent reports from, you know, different parts of the world, uh, I felt plugged in because the, the audio quality of a journalist, you know, on a in a war zone kind of like reporting and hearing you know things whizzing by and you know explosions and and all that very dramatic it was it was very different from um i think uh, television what television brought to to news but suddenly radio had its um you know it had its uh, a special quality about it, I think, because you just kind of focus on the... And you, you, your mind is used so much more because you're trying to imagine those scenes as well, kind of visualize what is coming through uh, the radio waves. We have this message uh, from uh, Tony George. We were lucky, boomers, having been brought up on radio in the 60s and the 70s. I had a Radio Malaya from Penang and Radio RAF in Butterworth. I loved Radio RAF, particularly as they brought educational content and their distant education programs. Great music, especially rock and folk songs. Totally benefited. Then, uh, when I went to Ireland for university, we were constantly uh, we constantly listened to Radio Luxembourg and Radio Caroline, which was broadcasting offshore from a ship. Both brilliant stations for us students. Radio molded us. Kudos to BFM for bringing radio live again. Thank you so much, uh, uh, Tony, for uh, your well wishes. But yeah, you you know you also lucky that in the sixties and seventies, and I think because as our previous guests kind of mentioned, uh, radio commercial radio didn't come to uh, Britain very early on. It only emerged in the seventies. But Radio Luxembourg and Radio Caroline, I uh, say you know, were attempts to kind of. Oh, pirate radio uh, stations, right, trying to break the monopoly that the state had on content. Often it was in what was um, in the music scene, right, and people want to hear different things. So radio has been um, a, an avenue for some sort of dissent. And I think if you look back at the history of the Cold War, you would see that as well. Very important radio stations that try to break the monopoly on information. Now we also have a message from Yo Zhu young uh, You wrote, "Known radio since my years started working, as there was a big 1990s era hi-fi system in the area of the house I was in in Malaysia. Sadly, there were many bad quality radio content until the emergence of BFM." <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Uh, the live element of a radio is the best. On top of all the live discourse on current issues, the best part is when the station plays an. Absolute banger. You love and you know that somewhere out there, someone like you is rocking out to the same song. We don't choose the songs like online, but that's magic. (laughs) Thank you, Yo, for that. Uh, Yeah, it's a strange sense of uh, community, of collective feeling, because you imagine there's all... All these other people also in the same boat, uh, also experiencing the same kind of sensations you do when you hear, as you put it, an absolute banger. Uh, I think that is something that um, we all love. we're going to be, you know, continuing this conversation on radio. We're going to be speaking to a Malaysian journalist based in Australia who's had a long and, and interesting career, not just in journalism, but in radio in particular and how those intersect. That's a story that Kian Wong out in Sydney is going to uh, give us when we speak to him after the 7 o'clock news. Remember, it's World Radio Day and you can participate in this conversation uh, because we want to hear from you. When did you first encounter radio? What did you like or dislike most about it? You can call 7773 2900. You can tweet us at BFM Radio or send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899 or tweet us at BFM Radio. BFM 89.9, the business station. It's 7.08. You're listening to Inside Story. I'm Sherrod Kurt, and it's World Radio Day, and we're exploring radio, uh, the challenges that contemporary society, contemporary uh, technology and the future of AI might uh, impact it. And so um, we were looking earlier at uh, those challenges, but now... Maybe on a more kind of storytelling note, we're going to be uh, joined by Ken Wong. He's a Malaysian journalist and editor based in Sydney, and also an associate of the Australian National University's Malaysia Institute. Former BBC correspondent, Ken. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Ken. Uh, <laughs> okay, so let's start with this, Ken. I mean, did you grow up in a household that had a radio? Is that your was that your first encounter with radio?
0: Yes, it was, and uh, it's... Great to join you guys. And of course, this is the travails of live radio. See, it's not pre-recorded. It's not AI generated. It's actual sort of human beings talking.
2: It is indeed. How, so tell us how about,
0: novel this is.
2: <laughs> no, in fact, I think it's still the mainstream. It's just a question of whether this is going to be uh, a moment where we see, um, well, what do they call it, an inflection point when AI will take over. But before we get to the grim news, let's talk about your past, Kien, um, in Pataling Jai, your first encounter with radio.
0: I think the first thing, really, and I sort of related this to uh, at the. Um, 75th anniversary birthday celebrations for Radio Australia uh, a couple of years ago. And and this, and bizarrely at the time, um, I was beamed in from PJ uh, at Karabudaya, where I was uh, finalizing that book of ours. And it's funny because um, I was telling them then, and I still recall it very uh, colorfully now, how my late grandmother... Uh, who used to stay with us in Pataling Jaya, used to have her beloved shortwave radio tuned into all sorts of stations far and wide. And one of them, of course, was Radio Australia with its distinctive uh, kookaburra calls. Uh, but also I heard uh, BBC, Voice of America. Um, I think even the pulse pulsating strange... Uh, Wavelengths of uh, Moscow and uh, France and Germany and uh, Taiwan. So yeah, shortwave radio, probably the first memory of radio.
2: It's amazing, right? Radio did connect that particular generation to the world. Um, I remember distinctly Alistair Cook's Letter from America. I I listened to that. You know, I was addicted to that. I mean, it was just a wonderful essay, radio kind of essay. And I also, like you, Kian, you know, I had a grandfather who kept up with uh, the news of the world uh, through radio and anticipating the World War when it came. But let's... Come back to our generation. Kim, we're about the same age. And, you know, (laughs) um, when you went off to Australia for your education, what kind of um, mix was there in terms of media? What were you consuming? And where was radio in that mix?
0: Well, um, I guess we are, us Gen Xs, are really the last so-called generation before the internet swept all before it. Um, We were on the cusp of that. Uh, We had life before the internet and life after, and they're quite distinctly different. And I think uh, the media that really helped uh, delineate that a bit and guide us through lots of uh, messy encounters in a very personal way was radio. And um, being uh, in Canberra at university um, in a city that was really a little town back then, uh, it was one way to do... Um, and access a whole world of uh, music and conversation and chat. And the ANU still has, or or did have, own um, a community radio station, which uh, as undergrads, uh, several of us got very deeply involved. It was really a cooperative that happened to um, work on producing what was, I guess, in hindsight, not very good radio, but uh, it was a community project.
2: I'd like to just sort of help us understand what that is, because some people are saying that maybe the future of radio is to return to things like community radio, very localized content. What's the difference between a community radio and a commercial radio?
0: Um, the big, big distinct difference is, of course, uh, for instance, in Canberra, 2XX, where um, I first encountered and started making radio programs and doing radio. Uh, It was the annual and sometimes uh, twice a year subscription drive where everyone, you know, is encouraged over the course of a week and reminded until they got really sick of it to contribute, sign up as members and as members of that radio station. You might get, you know, bits of discounted, the local cafes or record shops uh, and that sort of thing in those days. So that was pretty much it. Uh, It's not that different from what was the phenomena of uh, American college radio, which of course broke a whole bunch of now legendary rock and music acts uh, in a similar subscriber driven way. And in a way we've reached full circle to think of it that way, because uh, a lot of, the best surviving independent online media these days is subscriber-driven. So maybe um, the medium has changed slightly, but the methods of survival haven't.
2: Yeah, okay. So, Ken, you know, uh, you were a journalist, but you, you didn't do just radio. I mean, you were somebody who's worked in print and, and so on, and, and television. But tell us about um, joining the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. What did you learn
0: there? Um, that... Really, only happened after I had spent a couple of years already, um, first as a trainee and then as what they call a graded journalist um, in what was then um, a big newspaper company in Australia called Fairfax, uh, which publishes uh, published the Canberra Times and the Sydney Morning Herald. And I moved to Sydney to join the Sydney Morning Herald's magazines division. And uh, I guess through that and through meeting friends and folks who worked at the ABC, which handily had just set up its new headquarters across the road from the Sydney Morning Herald, I began to uh, do actually more and more um, short features and then longer radio documentaries. And But all of this was underpinned really by... Um, the nature of the journalism that I was doing. And for me, it was really about trying to explore and explain and share with listeners, I guess, my own wonder at what was then the emerging digital technologies and how they fit in, actually, and connected um, what was Australia's near Southeast Asia region with itself. So um, radio was a very good medium to make these types of documentaries because I think um, it provides a sort of a more intimate but um, authentic um, explanation which doesn't have the distancing that text that text has, that newspapers or magazines have. It's much more personal medium and um, it lends itself too, I think, to um, Uh, listeners uh, getting a taste of what digital technologies and, of course, Southeast Asia sounds like.
2: Yeah I like that you mentioned sounds because pre- precisely because of radio's nature we're listening to people's actual voices and not driven through a house style by you know a newspaper or a magazine right and 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 then you hear those different accents you do, you have uh, different emotional uh, kind of quality coming through um okay uh,
0: exactly and and, and that, that was something that I really liked so much about it i mean one one little story that i did uh for the abc uh probably in the early 90s was i actually went on the road with what was then and i guess still is uh uh the biggest ever sort of rock band called swami uh which is still legendary today in indonesia and they went on the road across indonesia and i recorded a lot of that and you know did a little documentary series, which was really a prelude to the end of Suharto's New Order. And radio really lent itself to tell that story a lot more uh, compellingly than print would.
2: Yeah, and, you know, I I absolutely appreciate that because I, you know, I grew up on the kind of radio we're talking about now. Uh, I do want to ask you about the time that you joined the British uh, uh, Broadcasting Corporation, BBC, uh, you told me before this interview that you did a crash course, a one-month crash course on radio and TV there, and you described that you learned and unlearned many things. Could you give us a sense of what those uh, learnings and unlearnings were all about?
0: Um, Well, the thing is, I was never formally trained or gone into any sort of training course to do radio properly, I suppose, or to do to be a radio journalist. I was always, I I was, yeah, principally trained as a newspaper journalist and then into magazines and it was print. Um, So making radio was really based on my own um, journalism ideas and uh, uh, techniques and processes. And uh, a decade after I began sort of, uh, had been making uh, radio for the ABC, um, And when I joined the BBC as a Malaysia correspondent, um, they basically, after a few months of doing uh, what are the standard uh, journalists' one-minute dispatches or three-minute features or um, Q&As, what they call two ways, where the correspondent would report in the field, They decided that I had enough time to go to London to do what effectively was a rather intensive uh, one-month crash course in doing, I guess, the format of the BBC's um, radio reports properly. And one thing that the trainers always used to remind us, I think correctly up till today, was very important, that... The audience matters the most. It's not you that matters that much. And if you have a story that is so important and compelling you want to convey, then think of your audience first. How does your audience uh, be able to listen to it, whether they're in Ohio or Lagos, Nigeria, or somewhere in, you know, Mongolia? So it has to speak to those audiences. It has to respect them, but also to make things as succinct and simple as possible, but not oversimplified. So language matters, um, accents uh, matter, um, to some extent, even learning how to use sounds and setting up those sounds properly. So in that respect, um, the course was good for me because uh, I think many of us and you can hear this sometimes uh, through no fault of their own, Um, folks who speak uh, uh, or are just captured on the streets, they may have uh, an upward lilt to the way they describe or say things, and the BBC sort of frowns on that. It, I guess, feels um, perhaps not authoritative enough if you want to do serious news, Uh, and... So there's a lot of um, uh, training on pacing, on uh, editing the copy. Uh, I had a wonderful sort of uh, Scottish voice coach who basically worked out pacing. So they're not trying to iron out your accent so much as work out a consistency in how you speak or stress words so that you don't... um, yeah, uh, you can say a sentence in different ways and you might emphasize perhaps the wrong thing or the thing that listener maybe in Ohio or in Lagos uh, might take wrongly or differently from what you're trying to convey. So yeah, those those were some of the uh, training uh, things that I, th- I think I really appreciated, which was ironed out. And it matters a lot in radio because in TV, you can sort of fudge it a bit. But I think radio is actually a lot more rigorous to do it well.
2: Right. It's interesting that, uh, you know, putting the audience uh, in the center of the story, uh, you know, was one of the chief lessons you learned there. I I don't want to ask you, though, you know, because we have about, you know, three minutes left. I just want to ask you about (laughs) what's happening, what you see happening to radio today. Do you think the radio that you grew up on will survive?
0: I think I hope so. I I, I suppose at the centre of this really has to be that radio um, defends, treasures, enhances humanity of people and to connect people telling each other and talking to each other authentically. And that is something that, you know, uh, with the dawn of artificial intelligence and how you can do deep fakes and so on, both in audio and video, Um, that is endangered but on the other hand i think radio and certainly even shortwave radio has a huge role to play in hopefully providing authentic credible information which you know from emergency services to you know uh disconnected far-flung communities it, it it does play a very important role. And it's it's a relatively cheap medium. That's the other good thing about it in some ways. You don't need a printing press. In some ways, you don't even need an internet server or a cell network provider, right? Um, shortwave radio can go very far.
2: Okay, so uh, we have a minute left. Uh, Ken, any last words for us about you know how the public... Um, you know, in the same way that your public in your community radio kind of subscribe and they put their money down where their mouth was and supported their radio station. So, how can people keep this medium alive?
0: I think it's very important that yeah people consider supporting whatever credible media uh, you know that they like or want to exist because uh, in this age of uh, I guess um, big companies like. You know, the Facebooks and the Xs and the um, uh, Googles of this world hoovering up all that media money and revenue uh, becomes very difficult for what we now consider traditional media to survive because it doesn't add up economically. And maybe subscriber driven media is the future. And um. In many ways, community radio was there first.
2: All right, thank you very much, Ken, for sharing your thoughts on World Radio Day. I've been speaking Thank to Ken you. Wong, Malaysian journalist and editor based in Sydney, and he's also an associate with the Australian National University's Malaysia Institute. Because we still want to know what you think about radio and whether you value it. your first encounter with radio? Did you like it, and and, and why? You can call us double seven double three two nine hundred, or you can uh, send us a voice note or a WhatsApp at zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine, or tweet us at BFM Radio.